The subject is a time to forget, this time of year, which is an unusual time. It's a time when we sometimes look back as well as forward. It's the end of one year, just before the beginning of another one. And I think there's a great passage, which I have used once or twice before in my long life, but I do find it a good passage for this time of year. And I want to uh, read it to you. I think it'll go up on the screen. It's Philippians 3, and it's just a few verses, 12 to 14. This is Paul writing... And he says, not that I have already obtained all this, what he's been talking about, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, really, God's put a, a more like a, an actual text on my heart for this morning, a sort of one line from that, although it's a slightly different version, and it's this one. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. And that's what I want you to listen to and think about this morning for the next 20, 30 minutes, probably 30 minutes by the time we've finished, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I think one, I'm always impressed with how Paul, the writer of this, has a forward look. He's moving forward all the time. He's looking to go, even though at one time uh, you, you read him thinking that even though he's doing well in areas like Greece to our thinking and Turkey, those areas, he talks about, I want to get to Spain. He writes, he writes like that. I don't know if he ever did, because he ultimately was arrested and ultimately beheaded in Rome under Nero, but he's always planning the next bit. And it's not like he's got a problem, he's impatient, it's just there's so much that he knows Christ's got for him, he wants to do. He pushes forward. And he has this consuming passion to get hold of what Jesus had got him hold of him for. And there's a sort of one thing about Paul. He wants to know Jesus better, to understand better what Jesus Christ has done for him. You can work that out from the context of these verses, what goes before. And also, tied in with that, he realizes a purpose for his life. Jesus got hold of him for purpose. And he wants to fulfill to the full all that Jesus had in mind for him. Spurgeon commenting on this passage, wrote this. This is C.H. Burge, an old Victorian preacher. Talking about Paul, Paul had not yet reached his own ideal of what a Christian might be. He had not yet obtained from Christ all that he expected to obtain. I hope you're like that. I hope you're not satisfied or too sort of laissez-faire about it all, to, oh, it's okay, yeah, I've got the grace of God. I'd say, Paul understood the grace of God, but there was in him a desire to get more. He said, there's much to be much more. And he was going to keep on thinking like that and acting like that right through to going beyond this world into the next. He even saw that as gain. For me, to die is gain. It's, it's, it's a gain for me when I leave this life and enter into more with Christ. He saw that he would just go on understanding more about Jesus, getting more of a grasp of who, who Christ was and who he was in Christ. And that's how he thought about life. That's how all of us can and should think. Honestly, if we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians, don't be sort of 
just doodling along and complacent or not even thinking or just like, okay, put it on the back burner. No, no, we want to know Jesus better. We want to get the full deal. We want to obtain everything he's obtained for us. He had not yet obtained, says Spurgeon, from Christ all that he expected to obtain. He, I, I expect more. I haven't seen stuff that I expect to see in my life and in other people's lives. That's how Paul's thinking. That, I think, is how Spurgeon was thinking, by the way he writes. He's not particularly a Bible teacher. He's a preacher, and you know, you read his comment, comments on things, and you feel his heart, and it's the heart of all true servants of God. I want to see more. I haven't seen it. some of the things that I believe for. I'm talking about me now. I haven't. I'm not talking like Paul. I think I haven't seen the people saved I want to see. I haven't seen some of the healings that I still expect to see. Some are, I'm still dissatisfied with the amount of victory over sin I experienced. Amen? I still want to know Jesus better. I want to worship him. It's a lovely time of worship this morning. It was lovely. Thank you, Lydia and the band. But we, we, we want more, don't we? Isn't that the right attitude? It must be. It is the right attitude as we go forward into a year ahead or into life generally. But in order to do that properly, to press on into all these wonderful things, we also need a sort of slightly negative side. We need to forget what might encumber us, what might uh, hold us back, what might cause us to, to not do so well, things that are weighing us down. We need to forget some things as well as looking forward. That's why I gave the title, A Time to Forget. Christmas and New Year, as I said, is often a time when you do look back as well as look forward. In fact, we, a lot of the looking back is fun. We reminisce. We talk with the kids. They often laugh at the silly things they remember. I did. I don't know. I don't, don't really know where I did any, really. But, um, oh, you always do that. Oh, do I? <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we, you do, and you have happy memories, many of them, good things you talk about with friends as well. But there are memories that aren't so good, and there are ones that start off good, and then you remember the negative, or the downside, or the disappointment, or the failure. And so even good ones can have a fair tainting with them, mixed feelings. You can think of mistakes you've made, embarrassing ones or serious ones that you so regret. I wish I done. Think of sins, hasty actions, heated words, things you wish you hadn't said, promises broken, maybe your promises or people who made promises to you that are broken, things that are quite heavy, heartaches, rejections, disappointments, frustrations, shameful failure, a secret fear, missed opportunity. These sort of things do come back, and they often come back with a bit of weight to us. They sort of burden us and and weigh us down, and they bring an element of pain or shame, some of them very seriously so, some of them quite painful, quite deep regret too. So what do we do with those things? You see, Paul, in this context, is able to talk about a whole load of bad stuff in his life, and there was a lot, both his religious pride, his legalism, and actually his really bad behavior in terms of he had people murdered, he had people executed for being Christians, he had people put in prison, things that he was... Now, he then says, forgetting what's behind. Now, let's start straight away and say he clearly remembers, literally can call to mind what he did because he's referred to it. So we'll get back to that in a minute because sometimes people say, well, I can't, how can I forget? It's not just about forgetting. It's about something about attitude. It's about understanding that there are different meanings to the word forget. 
there are, there's one meaning in the dictionary which is to intentionally disregard, which is slightly different to just like a mind blank, amnesia. It's to not let it any longer dominate your life. You intentionally disregard it. You're able to lay it aside. We'll come to that before we finish this morning because that's what I think Paul is writing about. There are things back there, but I forget those that I might press forward into all Christ has for me. So how can we help each other this morning? Well, uh, again, you could probably take several angles on this, but I'm going to just take two points which I find helpful and which I just know you'll, many of you'll know, but I always think it's good to review things. It's never, never a bad thing to just take to heart what the gospel says to us as followers of Jesus. So I want to look at two, two points, really. I want to look quickly at understanding God's forgiveness of us and forgiving others who have wronged us. So one of the ways we forget what's behind is getting forgiveness, biblical understanding of forgiveness, God's forgiveness of us, and then our forgiveness of others. So let's take a few minutes to think about God's forgiveness of us. Now, whether you've done wrong yourself or had wrong done to you, often even... In the second case, when you've had wrong done to you, you do stuff wrong. So you react badly, say, to someone who offends or hurts you. Or you have a very significant thing done to you. And I actually had a very difficult time early this year in February. I was scammed. I was robbed of a lot of money by a scam. And it was a lot. It's most I've ever been robbed of. It was a significant amount. It could have been a lot worse but it was very bad by my standards, very bad. And you can, it was a telephone thing, you can be very angry about what people have done to you, and then as you trust in God and unravel it, you realize there were aspects of my own behavior, like pride, stupidity, idleness, curiosity, that didn't help, and then my reaction, my reaction probably didn't help as well. So often the two things are tangled up. Now in this point, I'm thinking about the stuff we do wrong. It's one of the things we've got to get clear of. What, you know, well, I, you know, of course I lost my temper because they were horrible to me. Yeah, let's talk about what you... So we're talking about God's forgiveness of us, even if some of it felt justified at the time. And if we're going to really go forward effectively, we have got to get clear clear conscience, clear mind as we go forward that we are forgiven everything we've ever done wrong. Long-term, past, short-term, past, this morning or 20, 30 years ago. Keep clear, clear, short accounts with God and go forward into the future not dragging a lot of condemnation and a lot of what-ifs and, oh, if only I hadn't, why did I? No, no, you don't need to do that. You really, really don't. Let's look at a classic little passage. Just a few verses. They go on the, on the screen. 1 John 1, verses 8 to 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Please just leave that up for a moment while I talk about it. That is a lovely... Don't you... I have often come to that passage. Often. I I mean, over 50 years or more, I have often come to that with verses. 
They are wonderfully clear promises. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. Let's focus on, you know, don't pretend that you haven't done things wrong because you know you have, and so, so do I. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, there is a clear, important human side to getting completely clean and clear of stuff you've done wrong, whatever level it is, serious or comparatively trivial by other people's standards, but stuff that bugs you. It is, this is how, this is our side, that we recognize that we did do something wrong. I mean, that sounds simple, but it's not always easy. We recognize what was my wrong bit? What, what, what did I do that I shouldn't have done? What do I know before God was a fault, was a wrongdoing? I'm convicted, to use the old word, of sin. I allow God to convict me. I allow the Holy Spirit just to nudge and say, that wasn't good. That's good, and I accept it. I don't start throwing up the defenses. I confess to God my sin. I didn't do well. That was foolish. That was, and it's often good to name it. That was lustful. That was proud. That was lying. That was devious. And you, you say it in your heart, or even openly if you're in a right situation, to God. You confess it. You don't evade it. You don't excuse it. You don't avoid it, justify it, and all the rest of it. But having done that properly, just by doing it, what do you mean by properly, John? I mean just authentically. That's what I mean. I don't mean like, there's a, like you've got to do it you know, on broken glass or something, or having fasted for six weeks. I don't mean that. Properly means you just mean it. It's not trivial. It's authentic and real. The glory of the gospel is... If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive me my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. It could not be clearer. There's no ifs and buts about it. And it's tied to two massively important things. One which is in the verse before we read, which is verse 7, which says, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. We'll come to that again and slightly dig into that for a few minutes because this is not a trivial forgiveness. And the other thing which is in this verse is he is faithful and just. So God's forgiveness of you is based on the really substantial stuff Jesus did when he died on the cross plus God's faithfulness and justice. That's pretty strong. Talk about pavement that's not going to collapse like Steve vividly brought to us. That is rock. Come on, it's not like, oh, is it about me? No, it's about him. And all your bit is so simple, it's embarrassing, and so simple you can't, unless you're humble, you can hardly do it. It's you, if you confess it. <laughs> Shouldn't I do something? No, that's your pride speaking. Dump your pride and come in humility and simply say, God, forgive me and help, and, and, and he will. <laughs> I was going to add an and, there's no and. I confess it, and he is going to be faithful and just to forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. Now, this is not turning a blind eye. It's not a let-off. It's not God being like a Santa Claus because of the line I read to you from verse 7. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. This is meaty, this is chunky, this is substantial. This is not God letting you off. Somebody else paid the penalty for all your things you've done wrong. Before the, the law court of heaven, before a holy and just 
and wonderfully righteous God, your sins have been paid for. So if you think of all your sins as debts, some of them like a debt of 20 quid, some like a debt of 20,000 quid, they're all paid for by Jesus. And they all were a problem. The little ones mattered as well as the big ones. He paid my debt so I can go free. Jesus died for my sin. And until you get that clear, you never understand Christianity. And you never understand why, you, you know, how do I live at peace in a world that's still full of turmoil? Um, you know, things don't quite go right. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of ifs and buts. But the rock underneath is I don't deserve anything. And I am a sinner saved by grace. But by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. And the word purify, in that sentence I've just read to you, in the Greek, it's a continuous tense. That's important because it says this, keeps us cleansed, is how some uh, more careful translations, some more literal translations will put it. So listen, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, keeps us cleansed from all sin. Keeps us? Yes. What do you mean? Well, it's ongoing. I believe, look, when I sin, and I have sinned this last year, I've probably sinned this last 24 hours, especially when you get tired and grumpy. I, well, that's no excuse, is it? I, I, look, I've, let's, let's be serious about this. I don't fall in and out of salvation. I'm not like I'm saved as long as I'm keeping my nose clean and keeping it all just stable. So if I lose my temper with one of you, sorry, somebody, no, no, James just caught my eye. <laughs> if I lose my temper with James and storm out of here this morning and get immediately run over and killed, I will go to heaven. So why? How can you be so confident? I'm confident in Jesus Christ. It's not whether I'm just behaving correctly at that moment. Now, if I don't get run over and killed, thank God, I need to apologize. I first of all need to confess my sin to God, and then I need to apologize to James. And I've got a lot of putting right to do. And if I don't, lots of things will be, first of all, our relationship should be spoiled. God will probably be a bit on my case. All sorts of things that will make me uncomfortable may happen. That's nothing to do with my eternal security. I am not saved by my good behavior. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. Amen? My relationships are affected by my behavior, but, and my enjoyment of stuff might be, but I am saved by the blood of Jesus, by his death. And it keeps on saving me. It's like, it's like your eyes blinking and cleaning, or you're not even aware of it. He's keeping you. Now, you want to understand the reality of that and enjoy the good of it, and that's where we're really settled this morning. But you need to know the substantial. The substantial nature is that when I sin... I do not have to go and sacrifice an animal like the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't have to go and die again, does he? I don't have to die. I don't have to flay myself with something to make my skin suffer. I've got to draw my own blood. You don't have to do it because the blood of Jesus keeps us cleansed, goes on cleansing you. I mean, it's a good truth. It's an important truth. It's utterly important, the power of the blood. But I also said God is faithful and just. God's committed to this. Jesus is the absolute pinnacle of what God was doing for men and women. God is faithful and just. He cannot contradict his promises. If you confess your sin, he will forgive you 
and cleanse you completely. So as you go forward into the year ahead, you need to make sure you go forward with a clear conscience. And you can. You absolutely can. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't, you still can because you can come to know him this morning. You can come to put your faith in him. Know all your sins forgiven and begin. What I'm talking about is the dynamic of the relationship. But it starts with your commitment to him. And and that's just as simple and just as profound as I'm explaining. You say, God, forgive me. Come into my life. Cleanse me. And he will. And now you're going to live in the good of that. And when you fail and trip up, you come back to that. You confess your sin and he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's talk for a few minutes about the other one, forgiving others. We want to go forward in, clear in that area as well. With the truth of God's forgiveness of us clear, and we're standing on that, it is not only possible to forgive others, it's actually essential. God would say it's quite serious if you don't. If you got clear that you are forgiven that's why this bit's important first that we've been talking about, then you will have the ability, apart from the help of God, but almost, almost in your mind, you will have the ability to forgive others. Because if you fully understand that you have received enormous forgiveness yourself, then you will work that out by beginning to be much more able to forgive others. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, you will get there. Now, Jesus explained this very vividly They're tying the things together in in a parable in Matthew 18, which I wanted to read in the message version. And then I realized I'd forgotten to bring it with me. So let's see if high-tech groves here can do it. Oh, look at that, the message version. Just like that. Just like that. Right, so just listen to this. This is a story Jesus told about forgiveness. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay it back. I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and and, and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. That's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks him for mercy. Now it's a bit... Vivid, like parables are, it's a bit 
like scarily vivid, which they're meant to be. They're meant to provoke you to think. That's how parables were. They were a sort of exaggerated, cartoony type story, but really hit, hit a punch. There's a punch point. A punch point is pretty obvious. Forgiveness is a basic requirement that should be demonstrated by anyone who's really received forgiveness. If you've really got what God's done for you, you can and should forgive others. And, and really, the king doesn't accept, I can't, as an answer. Now, he's going to help you, thank God. The parable doesn't tell you the whole theology. But, but actually, it makes, from heaven, a powerful point. It's a God point. If you've got how much I've forgiven you, $100,000, you will ultimately forgive those who owe you ten or $100. That's the sort of proportions in American money, of course, that, that, that are correct, that, that Jesus is using in that parable. So you can't claim, bluntly, to fully understand you've been forgiven if you are an unforgiving person. Something is not working. You haven't got something properly. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to say you're not a Christian, and I mean that soberly, because I think we all battle at times with unforgiveness, and I have. But it's a sober challenge that if you do have a persistent problem of bitterness and unforgiveness, you need to go back to basics, actually, and say, am I clear where I stand with God? Am I, do, have I got how much he's forgiven me? Do I realize what a mess I was in? Do I get what a huge job Jesus had to work on the cross for me? Or do I think it's just a few minor things and... You know, and, and, uh, you, well, that's the area where the problem is. And so you probably need to spend a bit of time reflecting on that and work on it. Because actually refusing to forgive others is, is seen in the Bible by Jesus as sort of hypocritical. We're recipients of this massive over-the-top mercy and we suddenly demand justice from everybody else. So you've received this amazing over-the-top mercy and everybody's got to have, you've got to have your just desserts from everybody else. That is the thrust of what the Bible says and what Jesus says. Now, on top of that, it's in our own interest and this is why we need to get it clear as we come to this last point. It's in our own interest. If we're going to go forward clear and clean into the year, we shouldn't be carrying a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness because it's causing us problems. It's torturing us. That's sort of in the parable. But there's a much clearer way it's put, and that's in 2 Corinthians 2.10, 11, where it's more of almost like a clear statement. Let's look at what Paul writes there. Anyone, he's talking about forgiveness, of course. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. He seems very keen to do it, and now we know why. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And if you wanted to push the, push the picture of the parable, you could say the torturers are demonic. could say that. I'm not saying that's theology, but it's not an unbiblical parallel. Basically, unforgiveness gives scope for Satan to get his talents into you. It gives some room for operation. And Paul is very clear, and this is inspired scripture, I will forgive, I'll do it, I'll do it. Because he says, in order that Satan might not outwit us. I don't want to give space to the devil. I don't want to ruin things. I don't want to find myself twisted and tortured by the, by the demonic. So I'm going to rob him of any ground he would stand on. Give yourself a break and forgive others who've offended you. That's the thrust of scripture. It's in your interest. Now, if you have done the Freedom in Christ course, which we do here, 
you will know all about this, so I don't need to unpack it in detail. If you've done the course and you've got the book and you want to review some of this stuff seriously on your own at the beginning of a new year with probably a focus on some people or something, can I remind you step three? Look through step three in the Freedom in Christ uh, Steps to Freedom and just pray it through. Think it through, talk it through with someone if you want to or do it on your own. If you've never done the Freedom in Christ course, plan to do it in 2019. It's a great help, not just to this, but loads of things. But in it, there's a good way of sort of summarizing the whole thing of forgiveness, which I haven't time to do today. But I think I will just go back to the forget bit, because that's often a bit which people get tangled up. They say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, we need to just, we're talking about forgetting, so we need to just unpack that for a few minutes as we finish. Because When Paul says forgetting what's behind, he's not talking about amnesia. He's not talking about like your mind uh, blank, almost like something sad, almost like an illness. You can't remember it at all. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the slightly more specialist view of forget, if you like. As I say, some dictionary definitions include, for the word forget, to disregard intentionally or to overlook. So it's not all about not even physically being able to recall the facts to mind. And that's the sort of forgetting we're talking about. With the help of the Holy Spirit, when you call to mind the situation, the offence, the hurt, the serious thing it might be, you will be able to remember you have forgiven that person. They are released from the debt. It's like someone owes you a load of money and you've deliberately said, well, forget it, we'll turn it into a gift. And you, you just remember, oh, yeah, they let me down. Oh, yeah, I, I, I said, forget it. And, and so you have actually turned around the way you react to the memory. It might be more precise than, than just that you can't think of it. You don't feel any longer the pain and bitterness and the desire for revenge or for justice to be done. They're off your hook, those people, but they're never off God's hook. Let God deal with them. It's between God and them, just as your sins are between God and you. And you're, you're di- so let's focus on where, where it hit us. As I said about my own experience earlier in the year, I mean, I learned a lot out of it. I learned a lot about my limitations and my foolishness. Uh, it, the simple answer would be to do what everybody tells you to do. Don't take cold calls. Don't give details over the phone. You know, I know exactly what to do. And I, I know it for a lot of other areas. You know, don't get involved in long conversations with members of the opposite sex. Don't counsel a man or a woman. You know, I know all that stuff, and I keep those rules. But actually, this rule is just like when when the bank went through it all, and the bank were really helpful, really helpful. I I mean, you may moan at bankers. I'm I'm grateful for a whole stack of, of, of people who helped me. But it wasn't able to be all put right at all. But they did put quite a bit right. It was great chased some of it back down and got it back. But, but to be honest, to be honest, I just did the stupidest thing. Take a cold call, which purports to come from BT, and is all going to be about your router and problems with your router, and get into it and try to do it. And before long, I could, I, there are about six things I know I shouldn't do. And I did them. How stupid. Then I realized that's the same with other sin. How did I get into this affair? How did I do that? Well, you, you made the mistake in those early stages. You just, just don't do it. You, know, you, don't, you, aren't, you didn't phone BT, so that wasn't BT. They, and you don't need to give them your details on the phone. Why are you doing that? 
Why are you now getting interested in trying to help them in putting your computer on and seeing if it still works and, and, and downloading something they've given you which actually gives them access to your computer? How stupid. I mean, I can talk about myself and think, what a stupid thing to do. And I did it last February. So if, <laughs> you know, you think, you have to be on your guard about sin. Why am I telling you that? It's probably therapeutic. <laughs> no, because I also got angry, of course. And, but in the end, so I you can tell, I can remember what happened. But now when I process it, I see the grace of God. I see the protection. I see the angelic bank, young man in the bank who really helped me. He was. I felt like God put an angel there. It's a great young man. He's really helpful. And, and I, I, see, I see God saying to me, you've got to learn out of this. And I think, well, God owns all money. God's provided it once. He can provide it again. God gives and he takes away and he can give back again. And so you... you you, you, and I believe he is. So you, 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 you just, you know, you learn out of it. In the end, you look back. It's not I've forgotten it's happened, but my attitude is totally different to what it would have been a couple of weeks afterwards. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like two hours later I was, oh, I'm fine, I'm cool about that. I was not. I wasn't sleeping. I was angry. I was <laughs> phoning people. You know, you know, of course I was. But, but actually, I can think of a thing, which is, to me, was pretty serious, and you'll have some things, and I can, I'm not bitter. I'm not like, oh, I hope the police get them. I'll contact the police as well. I, you know, I'm not. And in fact, I think, I pray for them to be saved. And, and I think that's fine. God, God was in it. God was over it all. So you see what? It's a different sort of forgetting. So it's, when, you, when you remember it and recall the incident, you do it in a context of what Jesus has done for you. Take mine. I'm using my example. I know he's my provider. Where did he come from in the first place? God felt, you know. It's all mine. It's still mine. Even if it's in a thief's bank account, it, but I belong to, it belongs to me. You know, God says, no, no, you know, it's all mine. You know, you learn things out of it. And you, and you think, oh, right, that's true, isn't it? And so actually your memory is completely different. You can actually even sometimes, I'm not totally sure I'm completely there on this one, almost be thankful for the experience. I have little flickers of that. I, I genuinely do. I think, actually, I believe God... Let that use that for good. I honestly do think that, but I'm not saying I do that every time. But, but I do. You flicker into it, and you and I think you get more like that as time goes. Now, on a more serious note, well, it's not quite serious actually to me. But you, I can think back of things that people have done that were pretty nasty in my life, and I genuinely don't feel any of the angst. I just know God was in. I, I'm secure of who I am in Christ. I have my identity in Jesus. I know he's forgiven me for all the bad stuff I did. And I've deliberately, at times, conscious act of the will, forgiven people. And now, when I remember it, it is without the bitterness and anger. That's the sort of... So I forget. I'm not going into the future thinking about it. In fact, in the end, and this is a characteristic of the human mind sometimes, certainly elderly minds like mine, that you can be so focused on what you're doing, you forget things. Do you ever go like that? One or two of you might. Well, in a healthy way, it's a bit like that. If you're focused on going forward in Jesus, you actually think, and someone reminds you, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that person did do that. Oh, I've forgotten all about it. And it was actually quite horrible at the time. Or, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because you're going forward, now, this is possible. Amen? That's the point. Whoever you are and whatever you've experienced, 
God will forgive you and you can forgive others and therefore forget what is behind and reach forward for what Christ has for you ahead, in the year ahead. Amen. We're going to finish on that now. Let's have the band up and let's, let's just, as they come up, let's just be sort of more reflective because this is very personal. If there is something that still bugs you that you know you've done wrong, you use a Bible word, you feel quite condemned when you think about it. You're quite condemned, quite down or quite negative about yourself, quite maybe angry or depressed even. You feel, oh, I just so... I want you to just, on your own, just as we hear some music in a moment, just confess it. Just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And just mean it, but then believe that that's all you can do to get forgiveness. Don't try and do more. Just confess. He will be faithful and just and will forgive you. So now, exercise your faith and say, oh, thank you. You've forgiven me. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, thank you. You're cleansing me. You're washing me clean. Just let that soak in. The word of God soak in. It's truth based on what Jesus did. Amen? That's what you need to do. Now, if there is someone that you still feel quite unforgiving towards, you can assess that for yourself. I really do struggle. I feel quite angry. I feel, you know, I want to see them dealt with. They owe me. I don't know what words to use. Then there is an element. Forgiveness is not thinking. It's not sort of emotion. It's an act of the will to start with. It's not like I don't feel good about them. No, you won't. You choose to forgive. I release them. You do it before God. Okay, that's why we're doing it in this context. You say, Lord, I, f- I forgive them. I release them. And if you can, you, you, you articulate it. I forgive them for, rob- for conning me, lying to me, and rob- exploiting my ignorance and robbing me. So you, you're clear what people have done, and you forgive them for that. Amen? Make it sensible and clear. You say, well, I don't feel a lot better. That's not the point you've done it now you will begin to feel better (laughs) it will happen you just need to to accept that and do it and let the spirit of god set your mind i'm not going to be cluttered with this as i go into the next year i'm not going to go forward frightened unable to answer the telephone unable to open my computer i'm going to go forward properly you know these people aren't shaping my life god's shaping my life jesus is shaping my life that's the point you'll get these incidents aren't shaping me. Jesus is. Amen? Now take time. Sit, stay seated while the musicians play. Just take a couple of minutes to start that process. You might want to finish it on your own somewhere. And then we'll begin to sing a song. You'll sing one too. Okay. Let's just be reflective for a moment.